The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian, investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today, I am absolutely delighted to welcome Patty Lavera. She is Assistant Director of Food and Water Watch and an expert on all consumer advocacy issues around our food system. Food and Water Watch is a consumer advocacy group based in Washington, D.C., with offices around the nation. Patty, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, Patty, you know, of all the issues that we face in our food system, one of the most confusing areas is around genetically modified food. And I like your idea of working together during this half hour around this GMO 101. What are GMOs? Should we be concerned? Why should we be concerned? And what can we do as consumers to make sure that our food supply is safe? So let's just start with the basics. What is a GMO? So GMO stands for genetically modified organisms. So you hear people talk about GMOs. You also hear them talk about genetically engineered crops, you know, or animals. And people use them kind of interchangeably. And what it is, literally, is that you've intentionally added some genetic material to that organism, you know, an animal or a crop. You've added genetic material to make a specific thing happen. And it's genetic material from something that it wouldn't get any other way. So this is not, you know, this is not traditional plant breeding where you cross two strains of a pea plant to get a stronger, hardier variety of pea. We're talking about, you know, fish genes in a tomato or genes from an eel being inserted into a salmon, right? So the eel and the salmon would not be getting together any other way. This is happening in a lab and you're deliberately putting genetic material in there to make it exhibit some trait. And so right now, for the food crops that are genetically engineered, one of the there's kind of two major reasons they do it. One is to get a plant to produce its own pesticide. So there's plants that produce their own BT, which is a pesticide that you use to apply externally to plants to kill pests. So there's some crops that produce their own BT, and now there's some crops that are Roundup ready. You'll Roundup ready, which means they're resistant to applying an herbicide. So you can spray the herbicide Roundup on this crop hope that's supposed to kill the weeds and the crop will stay alive because it's been engineered to withstand the application of that chemical. So there's very deliberate choices being made for why you would want to insert this genetic material and change the organism. And the benefits of this technology? So for the folks that are selling this technology, the folks that are using it are very quick to say that, you know, this is a technological solution to some problem that they had. So in the Roundup Ready example, they're saying this is changing how we can farm and we can deal with weeds with these chemicals. We don't have to go out and manually weed anymore. We spray the whole field with the Roundup. The weeds die. The corn or the soybean lives. Everybody's happy. So that's, you know, that's what they're saying. There's some other ways you could use genetic engineering that are kind of not as far along, but there's a lot of talk about making foods more nutritious with them or, you know, this is how we're going to have plants adapt to climate change. They'll be able to withstand droughts. 
so it's kind of being put out there as a technological solution to all the problems you face in farming, right? Farming is hard. The weather is tough. There's always something that wants to eat your crop, right? There's always a problem to solve in farming, and so this is often put out there as the, the technological fix for that problem. Now, you're based in Washington, D.C., and I was recently in, in your city, and I flew into Reagan National Airport, and I was really surprised to see posters for Monsanto technology in the airport in Washington, D.C., because I didn't think many farmers probably flew in there. And all over the streets, I see posters for Monsanto. I've seen bus wraps promoting Monsanto's biotechnology. And I'm wondering, who's really benefiting from this technology? That really is the question. And, you know, the reason those ads are all over the place in Washington. I live there. I live in Washington. I see these ads on our subway system, on the bus. I mean, they're everywhere. And, you know, those ads are meant for the people at the USDA who have some decision-making authority about whether a new GE crop gets approved. They're intended for members of Congress who could look into this and say, we need to do some something a different way or we need to label these foods, right? So this is Monsanto, who is the leading pusher of this technology, they, they really are a winner from this technology. They're benefiting from it for a couple different reasons. It's not a coincidence that now, you know, seed sales, the companies that give, you know, that sell farmers the seeds they're going to use to grow crops, are increasingly controlled by chemical companies like Monsanto, like Dow. So those companies have bought up seed companies. They'll genetically engineer the seeds to withstand the treatment with their chemicals, and then they'll sell the farmer both. And the, the genetically engineered crops are all controlled with patents, so they control it. They don't have any competition for that particular crop, which means they can charge the farmers a lot more for it. So there's been a real escalation in in the control of uh, just a couple companies controlling the seed supply. That's meant higher prices for farmers, and there's been a lot of controversy about how these you know, seed companies conduct themselves, how they treat farmers because they have so much power, and this technology has really helped them you know, build that power over the market. And the Roundup resistance trait, I understand now the weeds are becoming resistant to Roundup, to this particular herbicide, so now we're going to have more stackable traits so that not only will we be spraying Roundup or glyphosate, but we'll also be spraying additional, more powerful, and potentially more harmful chemicals on our earth. Is that correct? Right, so that's been one of the, the concerns people have had, you know, since we started to see these crops. The first genetically engineered crops were introduced in the mid-90s, and there's been kind of a steady increase in the number you know, number of new approvals, and so there's more things that are on the market now. But one real common theme in that pool of crops that are genetically engineered is Roundup. So many of them are engineered to withstand the use of Roundup. So not surprisingly, that's driven an escalating use of Roundup. And like lots of living things, the weeds develop resistance, right? When you overuse an antibiotic, the bacteria can become resistant to antibiotic. When you overuse an herbicide, the weeds can become resistant too. And we're starting to see that. In fact, this spring in Washington, they're having a weed summit because, you know, the, the people are worried. They're not going to have the tools to manage these weeds because some of the things they've relied on for a long time aren't working very well. And so people who were critics of this technology for a long time have been saying, look out for this, right? You're going to overuse these chemicals. They're not going to work anymore. And then what? You're going to have to escalate to a tougher chemical, a tougher herbicide. And so right now, the big, you know, the big waiting game is to see if the USDA approves an application for corn that's engineered to withstand treatment with 2,4-D, which is a scarier herbicide. You know, this is something 
that has a lot of environmental impacts. There's a lot of concern about the health impacts of this, and it's considered a more intense, tougher herbicide. So we are kind of escalating the the chemical treadmill because what we were using isn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. And I want to emphasize something you said about that this is not traditional gene breeding. Many times we'll hear the argument from those who produce these products that, indeed, it's just another variation of traditional gene breeding. And I want to emphasize that comment that you made, that this is not traditional gene breeding. This is not going to happen in nature. And applying increasing amounts of herbicides and pesticides on our earth can't be good for children. Right. I mean, it's just there's there's a real common sense. If you take a step back and you think about this as a as a system, you know, and there's always results from what actions we take and just what is a logical way to look at this. There's a lot of questions we should be asking. There was a lot of questions that should have been answered before these crops got approval and before we put them out this widely in the marketplace because they're pretty widespread now and certain certain types of food are now dominated by, by GMO seeds. And that's a, a very good point. You'll hear a lot about, oh, well, if you don't like this, you're just a Luddite and you want us to live in the dark ages and work with terrible seeds, you know, and, and bad, you know, bad inputs and farmers won't be able to do anything. You know, the organic community that does not use genetically engineered seeds, there are lots of farmers who would like to avoid genetically engineered seeds. They are begging seed companies and researchers to invest in you know, what we call classical breeding, which is improving the strains we have, improving the crops we have through traditional methods, which takes time and research and, and funding to do. And all of the energy and all of the money and all of the, you know, the momentum is gone into these GMO crops, which then get patented. And, the, you know, the companies kind of lock up the control. They won't let anybody do research on them. A lot of farmers are convinced they took the best kind of genetic material for corn or soy or whatever, and then genetically engineered it. So it's kind of locked up in that system. And so they took it away from everybody else who didn't want to use it. So there's, you know, we absolutely need to be working on crop varieties and always getting better there because we have a changing climate and, you know, different weather situations. But there's more than one way to do that. And and the the GMO industry is really kind of bullying everybody else out Mm -hmm. of it. Okay. So we're in the grocery store now, and uh, we've decided that we really are not happy with this new technology. We're not sure that it's safe. As I understand, they've, these crops have never been tested for long-term safety, either in public health, in animal studies, or in the environment. So there's a lot of unknowns there. So wanting to err on the side of safety, especially you know for at-risk populations such as women of childbearing years, children, we might want to be a little more cautious there. We want to avoid genetically engineered foods. Patty, where am I going to find them in the supermarket? It's a great question, and it should, we should have a lot easier answer than we actually do because in addition to them, you know, really being unstudied and, and not having the safety assessment we should have had before they got put on the market, there was also another terrible decision that was made by the federal government in the mid-'90s when this was, was all happening, and that decision was to not require labeling for these foods. Mm-hmm. So there is no legal requirement that, you know, food processors or, or uh, food companies give you that information as a consumer that this contains a genetically modified ingredient. So you're on your own as a consumer, which is backwards, right? It should not be this way. But the surefire thing that you can do to know that genetically engineered crops were not used is to buy organic. So in organic production, 
genetic engineering is a prohibited method. They are not allowed to use it. So that's one way, if you see that organic label, they were not allowed to use GMOs. In terms of where you should be looking and thinking about it, it's places you wouldn't necessarily think about because the two biggest crops that are genetically engineered are corn and soy. And so none of us go to the grocery store and buy a sack of corn or a sack of soybeans, but we eat a lot of corn and soy, uh, and it shows up in places you might not think about. So the cereal aisle, anything with corn oil, soy, you know, soybean oil, lecithin is a soy-based product, corn syrup. You know, there's a lot of processed foods that have corn and soy in them. So big sections in the middle of the grocery store and those processed foods could have GMO ingredients. Meat and milk could have, we consider them to be GMO if the animals ate genetically engineered corn or soy or alfalfa. They're now, it's now legal to have genetically engineered alfalfa, which is fed to dairy cows. So there's, you know, there's places that you wouldn't think about. And the other big one that people don't think about is that it, there are now genetically engineered sugar beets. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our sugar comes from sugar beets. Some of those are now genetically engineered. So candy, cookies, you know, lots of processed foods that have sugar in them might be where you see some, some GE food as well. And the problem is, without that label, we don't know. Exactly. And we should also add canola to that list, correct? Yes, canola. Canola it's oil. hidden one. Nobody thinks much about the, the lowly canola plant, but that oil is in a lot of processed foods. Well, I would challenge any consumer to try to find a salad dressing, again, that is, does not have an organic label. So that organic label is a protection to us. But if it's not organic and it contains corn oil, soy oil, canola oil, or even cottonseed oil, mm-hmm. then we should just assume that we are ingesting GMOs without any safety testing. Right. It's really a huge section of the store. And that's the reason that if you're going to allow this technology out there, we really think there should be a requirement that it be labeled. Yeah. And that's also, But that's also the reason the grocery industry, the food processors, fight such a requirement so hard is because they know how many food packages it's going to be on. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Patty Lavera. She is the Assistant Director of Food & Water Watch. Food & Water Watch is a marvelous consumer advocacy group based in Washington, D.C., but with offices all over the country. And the goal of Food and Water Watch is to keep consumers informed. They serve as a watchdog. They also do a lot of policy work. And that's where we just left the conversation with regard to labeling GMO foods. This is a policy decision. There's been a big campaign called Just Label It. And if our listeners want to learn more about that, they can go to justlabelit.org. But it seems unfair as an American, you know, we, we base our work. We're so proud of our country. We've got choice in America, right? We've got freedom to choose in the marketplace. But good luck if you want the freedom to choose a non-GMO food product because there are no identifying labels. Canadians, do they label their foods, Patty? I believe that they do not. The place that's doing the most requiring of GMO labels would be Europe, and, we, and that actually has really squashed the technology there because they make them put the label on uh, on the end product. And I have a list that I just lost of who else requires it. I believe China requires it and possibly Australia and, and probably I, Japan. Japan, that's right. I knew Japan and Europe, but I wasn't sure about Canada, so I wanted to run Canada's that Canada's pretty close to the U.S. on this one. So they often track our food policy on some things they're better, but on this one I think they're kind of taking the U.S. line. Yeah, and that's really our only way. I mean, when consumers ask me, well, how can I tell? 
you know, I have to first break it to them gently. Well, there is no identifying label other than checking that ingredient label for all of those various items we listed. And you mentioned, I think you said soy lecithin. I mean, corn and soy end up in our food in such, oh, insidious ways. So you've got the soy lecithin, you've got cornstarch, you've got corn syrup. But when I wanted to mention on that one that even if, you know, a lot of times we see the natural label on there, you can buy a natural product that contains GMOs, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though GMOs are pretty far from being natural. Okay, so what are we going to do about labeling, Patty? How can we get that to be a way of life here in the United States? So this is a political problem. You know, I mean, this is, if you read all the official documents and you go back and look at the decisions that were made and, you know, in the mid-90s when they were considering all these applications, there's a lot of kind of like legal-sounding gobbledygook about, well, we think that the corn that is not genetically engineered is not this, you know, not very much different from the corn that is genetically engineered. So because they're the same, we won't label them. And it's just cover because these industries are pretty powerful and they, they know that consumers are wary of this technology, so their solution is to just not tell them. So this is a political situation. This stuff is different. Every public opinion poll, if you ask 10 people on the street, they're going to tell you they want to know this. They think it's different enough, and that difference matters. And so we just have to make this a political issue that folks in Congress can't ignore. And it's it's been a while since they've really heard about it. So, you know, the last six months or so, there's been this big push to do the Just Label It campaign, which got a million signatures on a petition mm-hmm. um, to the Food and Drug Administration to say, hey, you're doing it wrong. Your policy on labeling is wrong. You should do it over. There were a bunch of members of Congress that signed on to a letter kind of in support of that petition. So they were saying as members of Congress, hey, FDA, we think you're doing it wrong. So that's a good space to build off of. And now we have to just keep working on that. So Food and Water Watch and a lot of other groups are going to keep, you know, keeping this issue out there, trying to get people all over the country to get involved, to tell their members of Congress, you know, they're, this is an election year. They're going to be home a lot, running for office, out pressing the flesh, talking to people. And you can identify yourself as, you know, I'm a voter. I'm really interested in food issues. The, you know, the thing you can do for me, I'm putting you on, you know, I'm putting you on the spot. What are you going to do about, about GMO labeling? See if they'll tell you. They've probably never been asked. You know, so we just need to elevate this to that kind of issue that they can't ignore anymore. So this is going to go through the FDA. Can the FDA make that decision to require labeling, or will there have to be a bill? The FDA could make this decision, or Congress could make them make the decision. <laughs> so it could go either way. So this initial effort by the Just Label It folks was really targeted at FDA just to kind of put them on notice. Uh-huh. Um, you know, President Obama had talked about this when he was running for office. Yes, he, had he did. made some promises about this, so that was part of the thinking is that the FDA works for him. Let's kind of put some pressure on them. But also, you know, Congress could absolutely do this too. And so Representative Kucinich from Ohio has for years introduced a bill that would require this labeling. So there's, there's been opportunities, but those bills have never really moved too far because there wasn't enough pressure to move them. So both, you know, we put pressure on both those pieces to see, you know, what breaks loose. So here I am, I live in Columbia, Missouri, and for all of our listeners around the country, should they then first contact their own individual representatives in Washington? Is that the first step? Sure. I mean, that's always a a good idea. You know, we love it when folks kind of 
get hooked up, whether it was with us or somebody else. There's there's groups all over the place that are, are going to be working on this. So find a group that's working on it and get on their email list, and we'll give you lots of opportunities to do so. Like we always have opportunities to sign up and, and do actions on our website. But also, you know, absolutely, you can call your member of Congress if you see them around, which you're going to this year, because, you know, they're going to spend more time at home than they are in Washington at very, very shortly this summer because they're running for office, start to ask them if they have town halls or community meetings. Take some friends and ask them about this. You know, and if you contact, like, Food and Water Watch or other groups, they could probably help you with materials and fact sheets and petitions and things like that if you really want to get something going in your your community. That's what it takes. We have to do that all over the place. You also went down a very interesting path, and that was – Speaking to the food marketers themselves, the people who sell food. So Food and Water Watch had a campaign targeting Walmart and saying, hey, you know, we don't want to buy GMO sweet corn if you sell it. And I thought that was a really important tack to take. A lot of people, you know, we I think we, we see ourselves as being individuals and relatively powerless, but together we have a force that really does need to be recognized. So tell me a little bit about this campaign. Sure. So in, last summer, the USDA was considering, you know, they're the ones that decide if a new genetically engineered crop is allowed to be grown. And so they approved the use of a new variety of sweet corn, so the corn you're going to eat on the cob or, you know, corn from frozen corn or corn that's in soup or something. This is not corn that becomes corn syrup or gets fed to animals. This is the stuff we go buy. So up till that point, there really hadn't been genetic engineering of that corn. There was one type that never really took off in the marketplace. And so there was an approval by the USDA for genetically engineered sweet corn. And we thought that was a mistake. Lots of groups, including us, tried to block that, you know, and really pressured USDA, and they approved it anyway. They have a long history of, you know, approving all these new crops. And so that's where we were. This is legal, right? They can do it. And so a bunch of groups got together in the fall and, and wrote to some retailers and some big food processors and said, hey, are you going to use this, right? It's legal now. You could make a statement. You could put out the word, we, we're not interested. We're not interested in buying genetically engineered sweet corn, you know, for our soups or for our stores. And a couple wrote back, so, you know, Whole Foods said that they wouldn't do it. I think Trader Joe's said that they wouldn't do it. And we talked and we were like, what's, who's a big enough player in the food system that if they said they would reject this, you know, the, the farmers wouldn't plant it, you know, it would have really have an effect on the marketplace before this corn gets planted in the spring. And Walmart is the biggest retailer of food in the United States. So when they make a decision about a product to stock it or to not stock it, people notice because they have such volume. So we decided you know, to, to talk to folks that we know all around the country in different communities and to get them to work on, you know, telling their their local Walmart or, you know, banding together. And we did lots of, like, national call-in days and things like that to say, hey, Walmart, you don't want to be in the GE sweet corn business, you know, you sell lots of sweet corn, but don't sell this kind and, and say so publicly. And so, you know, Walmart is not the easiest entity to move. They're pretty big, and that has its own <laughs> its own issues we could do another show on. You know, why is one, one grocery retailer that powerful is, is definitely worth talking about. So we did lots of things to try to get their attention, and, you know, we think that they noticed. We know that they noticed, and, you know, we had a little bit of communication with them. They just didn't want to commit. So, you know, we're going to continue to try to, to put pressure on them and explain to them that people really don't want this. But so far, they've not been willing to say 
that they reject this technology. So, you know, we thought it was worth trying, and we'll continue to try it and talk to other retailers and folks like that. But so far, hasn't necessarily um, panned out that they've said no to this particular crop. Well, I think the strategy from all angles is so important, whether we're talking to the marketers or whether we're talking to policymakers, the message needs to be consistently the same, and that is label it, and Mm -hmm. until it's labeled, until we have safety verification, we don't want it in our food supply. Exactly. Yeah, and that's the, you know, that's, Another kind of moment that's or you know or theme that came out of this, and I think a lot of folks that worked on that campaign really were like, yeah, we're kind of at the mercy of these retailers and these food processors to know or not to know because we don't have labeling. Walmart really has all the power in that scenario. I don't have a lot of power as a consumer if they choose not to tell me. They won't say they're not going to sell it. What information do I really have? And without a labeling requirement, you don't have all that much. So I think it really also kind of enlightened a lot of folks and, and us, too, about the, the need to really push for this labeling requirement. If we're going to keep having all these crops on the market, we should at least have the right to know, you know, where they are when they hit the grocery store. Okay. With just a few minutes left, I want to make sure we touch on cloned animals. Okay. So I get a lot of questions about this from consumers. Do we have these transgenic animals or these genetically modified animals on the market? So there's two different things. There's cloned animals, and then there are genetically engineered animals. And it's very easy to predict that someday we would have an animal that's both those things. Because if you go to all the trouble of genetically engineering an animal to make them express all these traits you want them to have, you're not going to let them reproduce the old-fashioned way, right? You're going to clone them. So you get that same thing every time. Mm -hmm. So cloning has already been approved. People probably remember, you know, five, six years ago, big ruckus. They made the announcement over, like, the holiday break at the end of the year. So it is technically allowed to clone animals, but there's a supposedly a voluntary moratorium that those animals aren't supposed to go into the food supply. No one's enforcing that moratorium, and again, no labeling requirement. So there definitely are some cloned animals out there. Most of them are dairy cows. We don't know if they're entering the food supply. We don't know how many more there are. No one's really tracking them. When it comes to genetically engineered animals, There's not as many of them actually approved yet, but there are a lot in the research stage. So right now there's a fight about whether the Food and Drug Administration is going to approve a genetically engineered salmon. Mm. They've been considering that application for a long, long time. They started to to really review it intensively in uh, 2010, and they've been thinking about it ever since. That would be the first genetically engineered animal that's meant for human food. They had already approved something that was a goat, and the goat was genetically engineered to produce a drug in its milk, but, but it wasn't supposed to be for the human food supply. But this genetically engineered salmon is meant for people to eat it. So that's a real precedent that you're going to genetically engineer an animal to make it grow faster, and it would be raised in salmon farms, and they wanted to get to the market weight in half the time. Oh, gosh. Well, there's a lot to keep up with in our food system, and I can't think of a better place to go than Food and Water Watch. I have to tell you, over the years, um, we've known each other for many years, and I have followed the work of Food and Water Watch, and I want to thank you so much for A, being my guest today, but also your consistent attention to these all these details in our food system that can be uh, quite disturbing. And 
Most importantly, not only do you keep track of these issues, but you give consumers action steps so that we don't feel like we're so powerless. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, this is hugely important to have places like this to come talk about it and spread the word, so you're doing a great job, too, with the radio show. Patty, I want to thank you so much for being my guest, and I want to just remind our listeners again, we've been speaking with Patty Lavera. She's the Assistant Director of Food and Water Watch. Food and Water Watch, again, being that great consumer advocacy and watchdog group based in Washington, D.C., in closing, I want to mention that Food Sooth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemmelgarn in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Patty, thank you so much for being my guest. And listeners, thank you for joining us. <laughs>